Bible and open it up uh, to Romans chapter 1 as we continue through the book of Romans going, uh, I would say verse by verse, we've been going a little bit more word by word for part of it, but we're going to cover a couple of verses today, a couple of verses. So we're looking at Romans chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. I thank my God for all of you. Let's read that together. Romans 1 starting in verse 8. Paul says to the church in Rome, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. We'll stop right there. Next week we'll pick up in that other half of verse 10 beyond that. What we have today in front of us is Paul thanking God for believers, thanking God for believers. Jesus has always used ordinary people. We've seen that in the Old Testament. We saw that in the New Testament. So often in the Old Testament, when God would call someone, they would say, me? Moses was awfully surprised that God would ask him to go and to do what God had for him. Jesus came and he called fishermen. He called tax collectors. He called notorious sinners to use them in his kingdom. Jesus builds his kingdom with people who we would not expect to be picked to build his kingdom with. That's always the way that it's been, and it's always been through people who are looked at by the world, and people say things like, well, he hasn't learned his letters. How could he be able to do this? And yet the Lord builds his church and the Lord gets glory for it. I want to encourage you who are, are Christian mothers in particular, sometimes what you're doing in your motherhood and in your home, it feels awfully ordinary. It might feel awfully unremarkable and unglamorous. And I want to encourage you that even when it feels like that, uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight is still true, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That God has given you what he's given you for kingdom-building purposes, even when you change that diaper, even when you send that 16-year-old to their room without their phone, whatever it is that you need to do. It might feel normal, but Lord, the Lord has always used those ordinary people and ordinary circumstances. You can be encouraged that God would call and gift and use you in Jesus Christ. God calls and gifts all his saints, all of them. And we can together with the Apostle Paul today, we can thank and praise God for what he's doing through ordinary saints that we see around us today. So often we think, well, God is going to really do something remarkable through somebody who is especially gifted, somebody who is really out there and famous Somebody who gets millions of followers on YouTube or I don't know, whatever. Don't worry about that because God has always used regular ordinary saints to build his kingdom. And what Paul is doing today is he is thanking God for those saints. He says this, and let's, let's look at this. If you're following along on the back of your bulletin, there's a few points there. We, we're going to think first of all about thanking God through Jesus Christ. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Let's let's think about what that is, thanking God. He says, I thank God. 
We'll think in just a second about who specifically he's thanking God for, but thanking God is something we ought to be doing. This is something that is a normal thing for Christians. Of course, today we're especially reminded to thank God for our mothers, but every day we have many, many things to thank God for. We have things in this life, we call those temporal mercies, that we can thank God for. That's what the world tends to think of that we can be thankful for, is the house, the roof over our head, the the income that we have, if we have that, the people that God has put around us, our families, our mothers, our health, all those sorts of things. We have those temporal mercies that we can thank God for. As Christians, we have spiritual mercies. We have eternal mercies, so that even when everything in this life goes away, we don't lose a thing. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even if we, even if we uh, lose our family in this world for, for the sake of following after Christ, which happens, it really happens. People actually get disowned for following Christ. Jesus said that even if that happens, that we will have a hundred times more. We will have mother and father and children and brother and sister. We have a family of God in Christ. We have eternal life in Jesus. We, we have Christ himself. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the giftings of the Holy Spirit. We have eternal communion with God. We have our justification in Jesus. We have our promise of complete sanctification and glorification ahead for us. We always have something to thank God for. And what we're to do as Christians is to do what Paul is doing here, to actually thank God, to actually thank God. This is not just a a feeling. That's the way that the world speaks of thanksgiving. They speak of it as the feeling of gratitude. But it's not just a feeling. It's something that actually comes out in words of prayer, actual praise, actual giving of honor through the gift that Jesus has given to us as those created in the image of God of using words Animals have feelings and grunts and groans. We have words that we can actually use to convey real thoughts, and part of that is in giving thanks to God. The world would say, well, I have a feeling of gratitude, but we say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Thanking God. Remember those 10 lepers that Jesus healed in the book of Luke? There were 10 of them, and most of them were part of the the Jewish people, but nine didn't come back even after they were healed, and one did come back who was not among the Jewish people, who, who was a Samaritan, and he thanked Jesus. And Jesus said, this is the one who has faith. Even though I healed their diseases, this is the one with the healed soul, is the one who doesn't just go away with a feeling of being happy about what has happened but an actual giving of thanks, explicit honor to God for what's been done. And what there is here is an an example from Paul and a call to us and and what ought to be just a regular practice daily in our lives is a giving of thanks to God. Giving of thanks to God. He says, I thank, and who does he thank? He says, I thank my God. I thank my God. He's not thanking fate. He's not thanking the universe. He's not just having a feeling of gratitude with no personal object. He is thanking God. 
And he's thanking God, how? He says, through Jesus Christ. This is the only way you can actually thank God. There's, there's all kinds of ways that you can say thank you, all kinds of prayers that you can lift up to God, but Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. There's something built in there that is evidenced in much of the rest of the scriptures that if you're going to pray and be heard, the way to pray and be heard is through Jesus. Even if it's a prayer that's as beautiful and great as giving thanks to God, it's through Jesus that God receives our prayers. It's always and only been through Jesus. It is always and only through Jesus that God is our God in the first place, where he says, I thank my God. If you don't have faith in Jesus, then yes, God is God over you. He is your creator and he is your judge, but you can't call him my God unless you have faith in Jesus. That is how God becomes ours is for Christ to be ours and us to be Christ, to embrace Jesus Christ through through the gospel. It says in 1 Peter 1.21 that through him, through Jesus, we are believers in God. It is Christ and Christ alone. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so even something as simple as, thank you, God, that must be through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus that he is our God. It's only through Jesus that he hears and receives our prayers. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. If we would presume just to step up to God, just me and God, God is good, I'm a good guy, God ought to hear me. I have something nice to say to God. Thank you, God. If we simply presume that, you need to know that there is a fact that you can't do anything about, that the Bible says you are a sinner and your sin is more serious than you know. It has made a separation between you and God. It has hidden his face so that he does not hear That doesn't mean he's not aware. It doesn't mean he's not uh, knowledgeable of the words that you're saying. It means he has absolutely no obligation to listen to anything that we would have to say to him if we approach him in ourselves instead of approaching him clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. How do we approach God even to say thank you? We approach him through Jesus Christ. He goes on and he says, down in verse 9, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. This is how he's coming before God. This is how he's praying. Even something as simple as thank you. It must be done by faith in Jesus. It must be done in spirit and in truth from the spirit to believe in the gospel of his son, Jesus. How do we do that? Well, it says that as those who have faith in Jesus... Ephesians 3.12, in him we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Through our faith in him. Any prayer that we would presume to bring to God must be brought through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we have faith in Jesus Christ, there is no longer a separation between us and God. 
Our iniquities do not any longer cause that separation between you and him. Your sins no longer hide his face from you. But by faith in Jesus, when you stand before God, God sees you clothed in Jesus. He sees you wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is counted to you not by your works but by faith alone in Christ alone so that your sin has been taken upon Jesus and put on the cross and put away by the death, by the propitiation, by the sacrifice of his son. And his righteousness has been placed on you so that when you stand before God as a believer, you stand forgiven and even your prayers of thanksgiving can be heard now and can be a praise and a glorious, beautiful smell of incense into the nose of God. It is something that we're reminded of as we went through the book of Exodus not long ago. Those of you who were around as we were going through Exodus, you might remember that there was this thing, this one of the objects that God told the Israelites to put into the holy place in the tabernacle. It was called the incense altar. The purpose of the incense altar was to represent the prayers of the people of Israel rising up as a sweet smell before God. That's what the incense altar is about. And that's how God continues to receive the prayers of his people. There's pictures of that in Revelation, of the prayers of his people rising up like the sweet smoke of incense before him. But how did that happen? It wasn't just because these people were so great. It wasn't just because their prayers were sincere. This had to go through an intermediary. There had to be the priest. The priest had to come and take those prayers and in that, that, uh, that symbolic way, make it so that those prayers were sanctified. And, and even that incense altar itself, even something that seems as holy and righteous as praying before God, even that altar had to be cleansed on a regular basis by a blood sacrifice. And that's, was, that wasn't something that the priests could do once and be done with. They had to do it over and over and over because even that priest was a sinner whose sins had to be atoned for in order to bring the prayers of the people before God to the incense altar. But do you know who Jesus is? He is our great high priest. And when he made atonement for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When he died, when he shed his blood on the cross, he could say, it is finished. It is finished. He is the one through whom we approach the eternal God of the universe, our creator, our judge, the lover of our souls. We come to him through Jesus, and we have boldness and access with confidence through his name. And we can come to him, and we can even say something as simple as, thank you, God, for my mother, because of the blood of Jesus, and only because of the blood of Jesus. I thank my God through Jesus Christ, he says. God is my witness. He is coming in the gospel of the Son. When we, when we use those words, I pray in Jesus' name. Typically, that's how I end my prayers. You guys hear me pray all the time. 
I, I, I like to end prayers like that to say, in, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's not just something that we're tagging on just because we do. This is how Jesus has called us to pray. And in fact, it's the only way that we can pray. Jesus says that when we pray in his name, that whatever we ask of the Father will be done for us. Now, there's, there's a lot more there to unload than I'm going to go off on a tangent on about right now. But Jesus' point is that when we come before God, we are to come through Jesus Christ. We are coming, praying in Jesus' name, recognizing that we have no right to stand before God and ask for anything except in the name of our Savior Jesus, whose blood was shed for our sins. And we seek to pray in such a way that we're praying what we think Jesus would pray. If we're coming in Jesus' name, then we're saying, here is what I think Jesus would ask for. Now, the good news, too, believer, is even if you get it wrong, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you with groanings that are too deep for words to fix your prayers on the way up. And Jesus himself is our great high priest who is interceding at the right hand of the throne of God for us and praying perfectly for us right now. So even if you say to yourself, that's, that's too big of a burden, I don't know what Jesus would pray for me, just pray by faith in Jesus, and he'll fix your prayers, and you can have boldness and access in prayer before the Father through Jesus, our great high priest. So I thank my God through Jesus Christ, and who does he thank God here for? He says, I thank God for all of you. Remember, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, where he knew a lot of these people personally, but most of them he did not know personally. He had met a lot of them as he traveled throughout the world and run into them as they had also been traveling throughout the world, especially those who were Jewish believers from Rome because they had been ejected by the emperor Claudius from the city of Rome. So they went all over the place. So he knew many of them, but he also didn't know most of them, but he was thanking God for all of them expressing his thankful appreciation. I want to go back to the very first word of verse 8, which I kind of skipped before, but I wanted to save it for right now. He says, first, I thank my God for all of you. Now, the first seven verses of the book of Romans, we covered those. We covered those pretty slowly because they're very, very packed full with content. And there's a lot there for us to know. But we've got to know that we're just now getting into this letter, and he's just now getting into the meat of what he's going to say to them. And he says, before I tell you all of these other things that are going to come, some of these things are going to be high and lofty encouragements. Some of these are going to be doctrinal truths for you to rest your soul upon Christ, knowing these things are true. Some of these things are going to picket you a little bit, like when you get to Romans 13 and 14 and places like that, you're going to see, hey, I know about some of the problems in your church, and I need to address those things. He's going to do all of that, but he says, first... I thank my God for all of you. That's a good starting place. It's a good starting place. Paul could have said, well, let's get right down to the stuff that you need to know you're doing wrong. He's going to get to that. But he says, I want you to know first and foremost, and that word first matters. This is not just a rhetorical thing where he's just trying to win friends and influence people. He's saying, this is genuinely the attitude of my soul, is that I thank God for you first. 
that ought to be the attitude of our souls when we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, I thank my God for all of you, and I do that first. I do that before I pray that you'll change in this way, in this way, in this way. I do that before I even pray that your broken leg is going to be healed. I thank my God for you. I thank my God for the evidence of his grace in your heart and your life. He says, I thank my God for all of you, for all of you. Now, he's thanking God here for all of those in Rome who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, for all of those who are part of Christ's church. There is one category of people in Rome that is listed in the book of Romans that he does not seem to be thanking God for, and that's when you get all the way to chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, almost to the end of the letter, and he mentions that they have false teachers who threaten them. He does not seem to be thanking God for false teachers who do not believe the gospel, who would try to seek to lead people off into a different gospel. But there's a lot of other categories of people that he addresses here that he is thanking God for all of them. Think about this. He's thanking God for the Jewish Christians and for the Gentile Christians who are there. And a lot of the letter has to do with the interaction between the two of those. He is thanking God, as it says in chapter 2, that there are some in the church who are judgmental and boastful sometimes. He's still thanking God for them. That's interesting, isn't it? He's thanking God, as it says in chapter 8, that there are many among them who are suffering. He's thanking God for those who are suffering. He's thanking God for those who are not suffering, too. In chapter 10, he talks about sending people out as missionaries. And he's thanking God for those who would be sent. And he's thanking God for those who are going to stay at home and be the senders. In, in chapter 12, he talks about all of the different kinds of giftings in the church. That there are, are many different kinds of gifts and, and people serving in different functions in the body of Christ in the church. Some of them in prominent roles. Some of them in modest roles. And he is thanking God for all of them. Those who are mouthpieces of the church and those who are hidden back in the kitchen, laboring away. He is thanking God, as it says in chapter 14, that there are some in that church who are strong in their faith and some in that church who are weak in their faith. And he's thanking God for those who are strong and thanking God for those who are weak in their faith. As Jesus might put it, faith like a mustard seed, right? He is, he is thanking God for those that he knows personally by name, as there are dozens of those that he lists in chapter 16, and he's thanking God for those that he's never met, and yet he's heard of their faith in Jesus, and he thanks and he praises God for it. And I want to know, who do you thank God for? Who do you thank God for? I hope you thank God for your mother. I hope you thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul is doing. He is thanking God for his brothers and sisters in Christ, his fellow believers in Jesus. I hope that you thank God for those that you are already happy about. And I hope that you thank God for those that you are not already happy about. And I hope that by thanking God, God might change your heart, make you happy about them. He's done that for me. He's done that for me. I'm not just praying, Lord, please change Gertrude. There's not anybody. I hope we don't have any visitors named Gertrude today. 
not just, Lord, please change Gertrude, but, but praying first and foremost, I thank my God for all of you. I thank my God for my sister in Christ. Praying for people according to what God has said is true about them and thanking God for those people according to the things that will be honoring to God and would even soften our hearts. Whenever I see this in the, these letters of Paul, this is very, very common in Paul's letters to, to uh, near the beginning of the letter to have a prayer of thanksgiving for those that he's writing the letter to. Very common. And uh, I, I always especially think of the letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, because there is so much in that church that is really messed up. You know, you, you, they, they had some serious problems, a lot of them. And how does he start out? He says that I thank my God for you. And he talks about what he's thanking God for them. He's thanking God for the things that are objectively true about them as believers in Jesus that they have been called, they have been counted as saints, they have been gifted by the Holy Spirit, that uh, so much to thank God for, even in the life of a believer who is not going about things in the way that they ought to be going about things. Yeah, Paul's going to address that. He's going to disciple them. He's going to tell them, Here's, here is where you need to stop doing this, and you need to start this, and you need to stop the disorderly worship services and start having order, all kinds of things. But he starts out thanking God. And I hope that that's what we do too. <coughs> Excuse me. Not COVID. Personally, I'm convinced that most of the problems, most of the internal problems that churches have are based on a failure to love one another. And I think that it's easy to say, yeah, we love one another. Yeah, I love the church. I love these people. But you know where you're really going to see that? It's in your prayers. It's in your prayers. I mean, partly it's in your showing up. We'll talk about that next week where Paul says, Paul says uh, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. That matters to show up. But, but, but I think this is really true. I love this, this thing that J.C. Ryle, the 1800s, pastor in England said, he loves me best who loves me in his prayers. Oh, that's good. And that's what Paul was doing. That is an example for us right there, to love each other in our prayers, to thank God for each other. Guys, if there is a, a, another member of the church who is just getting under your skin and you say to yourself, I don't know why we are in the same church together. Why did God do this? Or you say to yourself, okay, we can be in the same church together, but I'm going to make a note of which programs they go to, and I'm not going to those. Or I'm going to make a note of where they sit in the sanctuary, and I'm going to sit on the opposite side. You say to yourself, I, I know that I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. That is not a verse in the Bible, no matter how many times you've heard that before. And do you know where we can start? First of all, I thank my God for you. This has been, for me personally, just a blessing to see this in Scripture. And to say, you know what? If God has saved someone, if God has made them my brother and sister in Christ, and I don't like them, 
I'm not recognizing what God has done for them. I'm not recognizing the graces that God has given them. And, and it is, I, I can tell you by experience, it is life-changing and heart-changing to on purpose pray for those people in such a way that you are not saying, first and foremost, God, please change them. But first and foremost, God, thank you. Thank you for their faith in Jesus. Thank you for saving them. Thank you for giving them the Holy Spirit and gifting them. Thank you for what you've already said is true eternally about them, that they will be completely sanctified in body and soul and spirit in the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you. Let's love each other and let's love each other in our prayers just as as Paul did. And let's love and thank God, even those for, for those that we don't know. <laughs> sometimes it's easier. It depends on, on your personality, I think, sometimes. You, you might be one of those who's really inclined to, to just thank God for the church in China, right? We, and, 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 and then you think of your brothers and sisters in Christ in the First Baptist Church of Matawan, and you're like, meh. Or you might be the other way around, where you think, well, I just really thank my God for these people. These people are so special to me. And those that are far away, I'll let those that are far away pray for them. Well, what Paul does, he gives us this example where we have this idea, I'm going to be in heaven one day. And that's my real church. You need to, oh, I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second because I just want to. Okay? Your real church is heaven and your real pastor is Jesus. And you need to know that and you need to be encouraged and comforted by that because if you don't know that and you're not encouraged and comforted by that, then you're going to hop around from church to church for the rest of your life trying to find a church in this world that is heaven with a pastor that is Jesus and you're never going to find it. But your church is heaven and your pastor is Jesus. I'm not talking about me being Jesus. I'm saying Jesus is your pastor. And, and one day when you're there, you will be in person with every believer of all time. You will be gathered together in church in a way where there will be perfect love between all of you and perfect love toward Jesus. And when we say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, we can be thanking God in advance for that. Even those who are on the other side of the world who lived 300 years ago, who we're never going to meet in this life, we can thank God and we can say, that is someone that I will get to know. I will have plenty of time and eternity to get to know them and to love them. And to be a fellow church member and a fellow brother and sister, a fellow family member with them under the lordship of Jesus forever and ever. So I thank my God for all of you. What is he thanking God for in them specifically? Well, he says this, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because, here's the reason, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Your faith is proclaimed in all the world. This is number three, if you're following along in the back of your bulletin. We are thanking God for evidence of his grace in human hearts. Thanking God for evidence of his grace. He says, because your faith. Before he is even thanking God for what God is doing with that faith, of it being proclaimed in all the world, he is saying, I thank you, I thank God because of your faith. This is something that Paul does elsewhere in the scriptures. Like in Colossians when he says, we thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray for you since we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all of the saints and because of the hope that you have. He's thanking God for faith, hope, and love. 
that God has put in their hearts. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Philemon, he says to, to the man Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. It says, it, it, he's saying here that he thanks God for their faith. Part of what that means is that faith is something that we thank God for. That might sound awfully basic, but there's, there's something there that you need to catch on and you need to know. If we are to thank God for the faith that someone else has, that means that the source of that faith is God. We, we don't say, wow, God, thank you for doing the right thing because that is the kind of person who had their own faith. Thank you for responding appropriately to their faith. And he's saying, first and foremost, thank you, God, for their faith. Thank you for their faith. That's because faith itself, the faith by which we are saved, the faith that much of the book of Romans is about saying, this is the way that we come into the kingdom, not by works, but by faith. But that faith itself, according to this verse and many others in the scriptures, is itself a gift that comes from God. It is a gracious gift. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And every bit of it is a gift. Every bit of it is of God's grace. Just to give you a couple of verses in the Bible that show this, Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you, that's given, that's not something you had yourself. That's given. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, that says a lot about suffering, but it also says that it has been granted to us to believe. Our believing is a gift from God. If you don't believe today, ask God to open your heart to believe. If you have those in your, your, your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school who don't believe, as you are sharing the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, also ask God to give them the gift of believing, to give them, grant them to believe. Ephesians 2.8, it says, by grace you have been saved through, what? Through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. That's a good gift. And Paul is saying to God, thank you for giving the church in Rome the gift of faith. The faith by which we are saved. We could never be saved by our works, but we are saved by faith. I should mention again what faith is too, shouldn't I? Faith is not just knowing the truth of the gospel, knowing the truth about Jesus. You do have to know the truth about Jesus to have faith. But it's not just knowing. It's not even just agreeing with the gospel. That gospel that we are sinners, that God is holy, that Christ is the solution, that we must believe and be saved. You can know that, you can agree with that, and yet not have faith. Faith is not just a knowing, it's not just an agreeing, but it is a resting upon the person of Christ. 
It is casting your soul upon Jesus. It is clinging to Jesus as the rock in the middle of the, to- the storm-tossed waves, the one that you were going to hold to and be saved. Not trusting in anything else, not trusting in yourself, not trusting in man, not trusting in your works. Trusting your soul completely and only in Christ alone. That is faith. And when that exists in your heart or in someone else's, that's a gift from God. And we praise God for it. And he saves us by it. He saves us by it. We thank God for your faith. And and what about that faith? Well, we thank God that your faith is being proclaimed through the whole world. Your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, that proclaiming, why would their faith be proclaimed in all the world? Partly because they're in Rome. Rome was the most powerful city in the world at this time. So it's kind of remarkable that there's a whole bunch of people in the most powerful city in Rome, including some among the Roman guard of, of, of uh, the emperor himself, who would have faith in this man who was killed outside of Jerusalem and, and then is said to have risen from the dead. That was kind of remarkable. He did rise from the dead, but I'm just trying to give you an idea here what, why this would be proclaimed through the whole world. Well, there's a group of believers in the most powerful city in the world. That would be something that would give hope to believers and be a curiosity to unbelievers. For believers, as they heard about the faith of this church in Rome, they'd be encouraged. They'd think this is a good thing. It's great to know that there are believers who are there in that, that seat of influence. But for others, this probably would have been a thing to be mocked and maligned. And that's probably part of how that faith got proclaimed in all the world. Can you believe that these crazy people, even in Rome, there are people who believe this? You know why I think that? It's because Paul's about to say in verse 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Part of what's built into that is there's a lot of temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. There's a lot of maligning of the gospel. If their faith is known throughout the whole world, then a lot of people are going to tell them that they ought to be ashamed of that faith. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So it would have not just been proclaimed as something that everybody celebrated, but also as something where people would have said, why are they following after that guy? In fact, discussion of Christ was so annoying to people that the Emperor Claudius managed to use that as his excuse to kick all of the Jews out of Rome. But, nevertheless, Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed, and he's thanking God for their faith and that it's proclaimed in all the world. Let me suggest three things to, to do with that in particular. One is that we need to uphold regenerate church membership. Some of you are saying, what does that mean? This is coming out of left field, but let me, let me tell you where I'm, I'm saying this. He says, I thank my God for all of you because of your faith. You hear that? He's saying this is a mark of all who are part of the church is that they have faith in Jesus Christ. He is not here saying that I thank my God for the parents who have faith. 
and also for the rest who are children who have been baby baptized into the church. And we hope that one day they will have faith, even though they are already part of the covenant family of God. He does not say that. He says, I thank my God for all of you. You have faith. Now, we could go to all kinds of places in the Scripture to talk about this more, but one of the things to remember here is that this is the constant design and explicit teaching and implied teaching, as right here, about the church of the Lord Jesus, is that it is to be made up of professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to be made up of believers plus their children who have not yet professed faith in Christ. It's not to be made up of believers plus somebody who came to church 20 years ago and we have no evidence that they continue to believe today or to love one another. It's to be made up of those where we can look and we can say, this is the evidence of God's grace and believing in the Lord Jesus. We praise God for that and we need to uphold that. Second thing we should do, we should thank God for each other's faith. That ought to be pretty obvious here, but do it. One of the ways that you can do this is, is you can go through the membership list. You can go through the, uh, the membership uh, directory or on our Wednesday night prayer list every week, we, we list out our members by name. We just go through alphabetically and every week we thank God for each of the members of this church and for their faith in Jesus Christ and that's a thing that you can do. You can thank God not just for faith, but for other evidences of God's grace in each other's life. You can thank God for each other. You can thank God for their faith, for their hope, for their love, for their spiritual gifting, for all the things that you see. God is at work in this person's heart and life. And then he says, thank God always. He says this, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, We kind of connected that back to thanking my God through Jesus Christ. All of this is by genuine service and worship of God through Jesus Christ and believing in the gospel. That's how he's lifting up these prayers. And he says this, without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Without ceasing and always. Now, does that mean that Paul never had time to write a letter because he was constantly thanking God for the church in Rome? Well, what this means is that he is frequently, often, he is not giving up. He is doing this all the time. And, and that's the way that he speaks of our prayers and how our prayers are to be in general. How, this is what, what God says through the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're to pray all the time, to give thanks all the time. That's what it says. How do we do that? Well, in one sense, when we're supposed to pray continually, it's, it's about not hanging up the phone. Have you ever been walking down the street and, and you see somebody and you think that they're just a normal civilian, but then they start talking to some invisible person and you realize that they, they've got an earpiece in their ear and, and even though it's, it's been five minutes since they've said anything, they've got somebody on the other line. You ever see that before? That, in a sense, is how we're to be with God. Even though we say amen, we never really hang up the phone. We need to have this ongoing relationship, open line of communication between us and God that we are praying continually. Even as we are reading, even as we are working 
uh, that we have that line open between us and God. But more than that even, it's about prioritizing prayer in our time. When Paul says, I thank my God always, continually mentioning you in my prayers, that means that prayer is a consistent, disciplined, regular part of his life. So that, yes, we need to have that ongoing open line of communication with God, but you can't use that as an excuse not to really pray. When I... Two, two people that I, I knew at our church in Colorado, both, both faithful saints, but I remember them, them saying two things about the same time about praying that just really stood out to me, the contrast between them. One man said, well, I'm not so much of a block off half an hour guy for praying. I'm more of a pray continually guy. You know, I pray in my car on the way to, to work and I, I pray as I'm cooking, and I pray as I'm doing this, and I pray as I'm doing that. Okay? Well, then I heard this other man who, who said, I'm really struggling with this, this command to pray continually because I spend hours in prayer, but sometimes I just, I just stop thinking about God because I'm concentrating on my work. And I thought, that's the guy who prays continually. It's not the guy who says, I've always got the line open, so I don't have to block off any time. <laughs> it's the guy who loves to block off the time. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus always had the line open. He's the Son of God, praying to God the Father all the time. And yet, what did he do? He would go off all night without sleep on top of a mountain to pray. He prioritized it in his life. So when Paul says, I thank God without ceasing mentioning you in my prayers. Part of what's there is just it needs to be a regular, disciplined habit in our lives to pray all the time, to have that as a thing that we actually do, even as part of that prayer is to thank God for one another. He says also, mentioning, mentioning you in my prayers. Who, what, what do we mention? Who do we mention? How do we do this? Well, I've said you can go through your, your membership list, but I also I, I want to direct you to our prayer list. It's in your bulletin. You know what the first point on the prayer list is every week? This is on purpose. It is a scriptural prayer that you can pray for each other because we are called to pray for each other whether we know of anything to pray about or not. Yeah, we, we need to pray for those who, who, who are hospitalized. We need to pray for those with broken bones. We need to pray for those whose loved ones have passed away. We need to pray when we know that somebody's up for a job promotion or, or selling a house or things like that. We need to pray for those things. But we're also called to pray for each other when there's nothing remarkable going on in each other's lives. And the Bible is a good guide for that. And it gives us prayers that we have, uh, that we can pray for each other. Like, like the prayer that we have today. I'm looking for my prayer list now. I prayed it earlier. There we go. This prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5, Now may the God of, of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole sp spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can pray that for each other, even if you have no idea what's going on in that person's life right now. And God's going to fulfill that for every believer. 
So we can mention each other, we can mention other believers that we don't know, and we can pray according to God's will. We can pray in Jesus' name. You know, if you're praying scripture for somebody, you're not going to go wrong in what you're praying. Say to yourself, I don't know what to pray in Jesus' name. Well, if you pray a prayer from scripture, that's pretty good. He breathed that out for you. He breathed it out. And asking, he says, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. We'll pick up there next week. Come next week. We're going to pray that we succeed in coming together next week. So do that. Today is Mother's Day. Your mother told you to come to church. I'm glad you did. Next week, there's going to be something. There's going to be some sports event that some kid has. There's going to be some flea market. There's going to be some beach opened up. And yet we're going to be praying that we would succeed in coming together in the Lord's day to be mutually encouraged and to be filled with joy in seeing each other, to build each other up in the spiritual gifts that he's given us. Let's pray for that too, all right? But we'll, I'm already preaching next week's sermon. I shouldn't do that. Here's what we need to do. As Christians, there need to be no divisions between appreciating people and honoring God. As we pray for each other, thanking God for each other, we are honoring God. When we see the evidences of God's grace in each other, and we thank God for that, we are honoring God. Our love for each other and our love for God, it comes together when we see God has saved this people, and God is doing a good work here, and I want to lift up these people. And we say, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, including those people in our lives that he uses to build us up and encourage each other, and to be our mothers, and to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's honor God and build up each other with prayers of thanksgiving. Let's pray. God, we thank you for each other. I thank you for the evidence of your grace that I see in just the people who are sitting in front of me today. I thank you for saving them through your power, which is the gospel preached and opening up their hearts to believe God, I thank you for sanctifying us, for gifting us in the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for, Lord, just so many that, that uh, Lord, who, who are sitting in this room today, who I can think about even the ways that they have grown in the years that I've known them, the ways that you have shown your grace toward them. Lord, I thank you for that. God, I pray that you would grant us the grace to thank you, first of all, for each other, to honor you in our relationships with each other, to love each other as we love each other in our prayers. God, I pray for those who are, are here who are not believers. Lord, we, we thank each other for the gift of faith in those who believe, but I pray for the gift of faith in those who don't. I pray that you give them not just the knowledge of Jesus and not just the agreement about who Jesus is, but give them the grace to throw themselves, to cast themselves under the rock of Christ and to cling to him and be saved. Lord, we look forward to thanking you when we see that happen in people's lives, when we see them converted by your grace. God, we thank you for our mothers. I pray that you would build them up, give them every grace. We thank you for all the ladies. Lord, you, you have done something special in making them women and in making them in your image and in doing, Lord, what, what is so good through them. I pray that you'd bless them and build them up. 
Lord, I pray that for the rest of this day that you'd help us to love you, to honor you, to give thanks through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.